coming to get you, Barbara. I don't know what you come to do, but I come to praise me. Because you'll never be anything but a common frump whose father lived over a grocery store and whose mother took in washing. Hey, y'all. Welcome to Who Shot Ya? It's your boy. I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio, film critic, host of the Switchblade Sisters podcast, right here on Max Fun. It's April Wolf. Oh, shit. Yeah, damn, it's you, girl. Oh, man, it's me. Did you not know? No. Oh, damn, you're here, girl. Just it's sitting me. here drinking some mint tea, mm. eating an apple, mm. and just like, wow. Damn. And then, lo and behold, bye-bye. Oh, so, shit. You know, well, good to see you. It's good to see you. April, I was looking for you on Friday night at the Horror Noir World premiere. And Were I you not sick. there? Oh, I got damn. sick. Yeah. I had a big date planned. Mm. And uh, I had to cancel last minute because I, I just couldn't to pull myself together. Okay. okay. I saw those pictures, though. I mean, it was, it was amazing. You and Winter Mitchell was there. I got her in. I didn't see Winter either. Oh, well, maybe I was, she had I, was, to I looked around. Goddamn. Mm. Goddamn. Goddamn. Well, April, you, sound, you were sick. Are you feeling better? What's good with you? Your I'm, health? I'm feeling better. Okay. Yes. I'm feeling better. Uh, for me, uh, media landscape, if you're like in entertainment or any industry in media, it's not so great right now. Mm. I'm one of many freelancers. Um, and so it's been a little bit slow going getting work this year. I'm sure that that will pick up. But I've taken that as a sign to just work on my own stuff. And so I've written a lot of things that I'm really happy with. And um, yeah, it's uh, it's a reminder, you know. Yeah. You always have the power to create, even if no one's giving you permission or money, and <laughs> <laughs> take it when you can get it, and hope that it's a uh, just temporary. <laughs> That's great. Oh, I got my man here with me, film reviews editor at the Wrap, Mr. Alonzo Duralde is in the building with us. Alonzo, what is good with you? Well, you know, in, this, in the same way that you get the McRib updates. Oh, here we go. Everybody has been letting me know that Hallmark Channel is showing Christmas movies year-round now. Okay. Every Friday night, which <laughs> is lovely, and I'm not going to be watching every week. It's so like I, your own Friday night lights. Kind of, yeah. Get it? Like, I don't, I don't need... Football, but instead it's Christmas tree yeah, lights? I, I, okay, I get it, sorry. I get it. Yeah, sorry. I, I, I don't need to watch, like, you know, Kelly Pickler and Christmas and Graceland again, but I I feel seen, Hallmark. That's the important <laughs> thing. And April, not to worry. The the the, the this will not cut into the uh, million reruns every day of, of Murder She Wrote on uh, movies and oh, mysteries. Oh, thank God! I'm a hope so. that I just want to make sure people have access. Yes, <laughs> heaven forbid they might just disappear one day. I know. Uh, no, what's good actually is over on Hulu. I, I somehow missed this when it happened last fall, and I'm now catching up. Uh, but Desiree Akavan did a mm. show with Channel Four called The Bisexual that she wrote. And stars in and it is she plays an American woman living in London she breaks up with her girlfriend and uh, sort of discovers that uh, she has sexual feelings uh, attractions toward men hmm. and not really sure what to do with that information and and so it, you know there, there's some funny a lot of it, it addresses it, topics but in a funny way so like there's a there's a there's a great speech about sort of why she couldn't wrap her head around being Bisexual, because that's like that's Tila Tequila, that's Anne Hayes. You know, like it's not a thing that exists. Um, there's a there's a in another scene in another episode. There's a there's somebody who's like in their twenties who doesn't understand why she's keeping her relationship with men a secret from her lesbian friends, and she's like, "Oh, you wouldn't get it." It's like, "What? I'm queer." Yeah, everybody under twenty five thinks they're queer, and and then it kind of acknowledges that there is this generation gap between like. The, the, the kids who grew up on the internet and have this much bolder notions about sexuality and gender identity and all that stuff than 
people my age do and how we are thrilled that the youngs are, you know, pursuing this stuff and being vocal about it. But at the same time, we're never going to completely understand where they're coming from or what they're about. So anyway, it's a really good show. And and Akavan's great. She had uh, Miseducation with Camera Post in theaters last year. So I forgive me for being tardy on this one, but uh, go to Hulu. Catch it, it, it's it's six episodes. They're half an hour. You know, uh, check out the bisexual. And I, Casey would kill me if I didn't mention that she also is uh-huh. not able <laughs> that, uh, that she was on an episode of Switchblade Sisters where she talked about miseducation of Cameron Post and the bisexual and some other things. What was her genre film? Uh, Young Frankenstein. Ooh, which uh, she decided. Um, oh yes, I listened to this one. It's a good yeah, episode. Yeah, yeah. Yes. And she was talking about how it's kind of like an. Uh, American immigrant film. Yes. Where like American immigrant dads can be like, <laughs> we all find this funny, right? And yeah, then they no. share it with their families. And... My, my dad would howl at that movie. You know? <laughs> he, was a, he was a tough nut. Ricky, what's good? God damn it. I was, I was like waiting until you breathed. <laughs> he didn't. And that is why you fail. <laughs> I've had uh, one of the best movie weekends ever, yo. As I as I as I said to you, April, uh, on Friday night, I went to the world premiere of uh, Horror Noir, which is a documentary about uh, black African about black slash African American uh, horror movies. Uh, from they go from. They call the first black horror film Birth of a Nation. And I was like, already, <laughs> already I was like, I love this documentary. I'm all in. <laughs> uh, and it goes all the way up to Get Out. And it was uh, fantastic. A fantastic night on Friday night. Loved that night so much. We went back on Saturday for a double feature of Tales from the Hood. And uh, Tales from the Crypt presents Demon Night. Mm. And in between both films... Uh, we got a Q&A with uh, Rusty Kundiev, director of Tales from the Hood, and uh, Ernest Dickerson, director of uh, Demon Night. On Friday night, I mean, the panel that they had up there was straight up damn black horror excellence, y'all. Uh, it was the, I can't remember his name right now, but the dude who, the legend who directed Blackula. Uh, Keith David was up there. Tony Todd was up there. Uh, Rachel True from The Craft was up there. Uh, my man from Nightmare on Elm Street, uh, Three Dream Warriors, uh, w- w- was there and in the documentary. Just this panel of like, oh, it was so goddamn great. April, you would have lost your goddamn mind. I know. I saw the pictures. I was <laughs> so sad. Uh, William Crane is the director of uh, Blackula. He was there. Uh, there's one other. There's one other person who was there who who uh, whose name I I can't remember. But it was just, it was just really great, man. It was like great to like hear. And see, uh, movies. Some, some. I mean, I some movies that I just wasn't even familiar with, and just you know, just like a real serious look at this genre that doesn't get talked about. You know, black black horror. It was a uh, really fucking great. Uh, that might be my staff pick at the end of the show. So, you, <laughs> so you're getting it early, y'all. You're getting it early, y'all. Uh, hell of a weekend, though. Hell of a weekend. Also, what else is good today? February fifth, my man Michael Mann's birthday. Michael Mann's birthday today. So shout out to him. Isn't Watch he like seventy two or he's something. He's seventy six like years old, I believe now. Seventy six years old now. Still doing stuff. He's uh yeah, he's got they just he has like a what's it called? A what are they called? A publishing company now, I'm sorry. Right? Oh. Or, or 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 he like runs I don't know what it is, but there's a book that's coming out that is his next movie that's based on some uh based on some criminal Pierre Lacroix or some shit like that. 
Oh, I love it when people 70 plus are still reinventing themselves. Hell yeah. That's the life I want to live. <laughs> it is. Yeah, no. You know Anya Svarta movie at Berlin this year. Oh, yeah, 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 See what I'm saying? Shout out to old people. Shout yeah. out to old people, yeah, y'all. Shout, shout, shout out to old, out people. To old people. Excellent. <laughs> hey, y'all, on this episode, we are going to be talking about the new film, Miss Bala. We're going to be talking about our favorite music moments in non-musicals. And as always, we will have our staff picks for you at the end of the show. Let's get into uh, Ida Dick, your short for Is This Important? Do I Care? I'm gonna, we're, we're all going to read uh, news blurbs, headlines, and anybody can jump in by, off, by answering these two questions. Is this important? Do I care? Let's get into it. Y'all, R.I.P. Ben Affleck is no longer Batman, y'all. Ben Affleck, it's official. He's out. Uh, he was originally going to write, direct, and star in the new Batman movie that is called The Batman. But he stepped down from those roles just to concentrate exclusively on the character. And then director Matt Reeves, he directed uh, Planet of the Apes, the uh, the newest Planet of the Apes uh, from the newest Planet of the Apes series. Um, he took over. But now, according to Deadline, he's going to pick his own younger Batman for his new trilogy. Ben Affleck, he gave his blessing via Twitter. He said, uh, excited for hashtag the Batman in summer 2021 and to see at Matt Reeves L.A. vision come to life. Ben Affleck, uh, he was playing Batman, as we all know, in Batman versus Su- Superman. Dawn what? Justice. Yeah, oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. yeah. You haven't right. seen that one? I highly recommend the three-hour cut. Good. You guys can come over to my house and uh, and watch that anytime. Okay. Uh, and Justice League. And, Actually, su- we won't, we and won't watch Suicide Justice Squad. And- <laughs> lest, lest we forget. Uh, l- lest, lest forgotten. Academy Award winner, Suicide Squad. <laughs> <That's>, God damn. <laughs> Is this important? Do you all care? I feel bad for Ben Affleck mm. because I think he had a decent Batman in him mm-hmm. and just never got a good movie to be Batman in. Mm-hmm. So uh, sadly, his moment coincided with like the worst moment of the DC franchise. And, and so, you know, it's just it, the timing was just not there. So we'll never maybe years from now when he's like. In his 60s, like, they'll do Batman Beyond. I like that. And he can be, like, old-ass Bruce Wayne, and then, you know, that'll be his moment to finally recapture that. But, yeah, this this feels like a lost opportunity. I do. I, some, you know, I honestly feel like we should have older Batman. Totally. Yeah. <laughs> right? Like, why not? Because, like, time doesn't stop for super. I mean, we had an old Wolverine, right? Yeah. You know, like, the aging Wolverine. Like, I mean, Frank Miller is such a pain in the ass, but it'd be cool to do, like, a Dark Knight uh, Absolutely. Rises, whatever the... the... Uh, no, it's the Dark Knight and then the Dark Knight Rises. Yeah, yeah, the, yeah. Dark, the first yeah. one, the Dark Knight. But yeah. I'm, I'm looking at these notes, and it says that they're looking for a younger Batman and that they're very interested in Jake Gyllenhaal, which is like, so both the Gyllenhaals are going to be in Batman movies? That's interesting. Ah, <laughs> I forgot about that. I like Jake Gyllenhaal, though, because he's so weird. Just yes. like he would do probably a weird voice for like imagine what would be the voice of Jake Gyllenhaal did a voice for Batman. Would it be I'm Batman. <laughs> I, I'm trying to think of I'm, I'm, Batman. I, I'm, I'm, I'm going Batman. Th- I'm going through the velvet buzzsaw like Rolodex in my I'm mind Batman. of weirdness. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm Batman. I'm, I'm Batman. <laughs> That's an oak jaw version. I'm Batman. Oh God, I, forgot about, I forgot about him and Oak Jaw. Jesus fucking Christ. I'm the Batman. <laughs> Blah. Uh, in a very disturbing new interview with London's The Independent, Liam Neeson claims that after hearing the news that someone close to him had been raped, he went out looking to kill a, quote, black bastard. Here's the audio clip. I asked, 
did they did she know who it was? No. What color were they? She said it was a black person. I went up and down areas with a cosh, hoping I'd be uh, approached by somebody. I'm ashamed to say that. And I did it for maybe a week, hoping some black bastard would come out of a pub and have a go at me about something, you know, so that I could kill him. And it was out. It took me a week, maybe a week and a half to kind of go for that. Uh, a kosh, if you do not know, is a bludgeon. Uh, in the interview, Neeson expressed remorse for his words and actions. But since the release, there's been a ton of backlash toward Neeson, who has since claimed he's not racist. Is this important? Do you care? This is a hard to hear uh, clip. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, here's the thing with when somebody today, white, if you're a celebrity, you say something like this, you're you're in trouble. You're in trouble whether it's justified or not. Uh, I I saw this and I and I heard the interview and I was like, that's horrible. He shouldn't have said that. And then I kind of just like moved on. And then I went on Twitter, and every I mean Liam Neeson is a is a racist. That's that's just ninety percent of what I saw was Liam Neeson is a racist. Memes on how Liam Neeson Liam Neeson is a racist. Uh, they canceled his movie premiere. He went on Good Morning. They, they canceled the red carpet. They canceled the red carpet. So I'm not sorry. To actually, ask questions. I'm sorry. Yep. Uh, he went on Good Morning America today, and they had to like tell everybody I'm not a racist. But just it sucks because the way the the way the internet and social media works. What we are going to remember is Liam Neeson saying these things and people saying he's a racist now. And it's like, I don't, I, I, I just don't get my, my, my uh, radar doesn't go off when I, I mean, hear, when I hear Liam Neeson say, even when I hear him say something terrible like this, which, I mean, reminder, he said this because we don't know who the person is. The context that of the, he got, the context that of the that question was about revenge because that's right. what the new movies about what most of his movies are often about is mm -hmm. revenge and he talked about I, I i believe it's that a family member uh was raped she said the the, the assailant was black and then he went out looking for a black guy to kill mm -hmm. and it's like what why tell that story that way you know like uh, in this context it's like you could you could leave the black part out and just say like i was looking to go kill somebody and then i you know snapped out of it and like that's your revenge story and whatever we move on mm -hmm. but to like make it specifically about looking for a black guy to kill then it's like you know, as the Spanish would say, "ilocuenta." You know? <laughs> yeah, it's sure. like it's one thing to have these thoughts or like you know go through this thing and then realize, no, you're wrong and not to do it. But then don't talk about it. It's, it's just it's it's clearly queasy. like the guilt part of him is like I think the racist part. Do you know what I mean? Like mm -hmm. I think it's just something that probably was weighing on him of like feeling great guilt about the way that he felt about this person or about a, a the situation race of people mm -hmm. and the situation and that he would do that so i feel like he wouldn't be specific unless it was just like great guilt i mean keep mm -hmm. in mind too he just worked with one of the most prominent black directors and a ton of black actors mm -hmm. which is a weird like it makes you wonder if like he, it's been weighing on him you know like i did a real bad thing 
and I have these I had these racist thoughts yeah. and I'm trying to absolve myself, which doesn't absolve him or the interview. Mm-hmm. But, it, you know, in the understanding of why he's saying that, I, it doesn't surprise me that it comes up at this point where he's worked with a lot, a lot of mm-hmm. black well, people on this crew. And he sounds, I mean, like when you hear him saying that, he's, I mean, he's not saying it like it's a, hey, one day this happened. It's a pained fucking story that he's telling right, right there. And he sounds, it's, I mean, it sounds like the words are hard for him, you know, for him to like, to, to like bring out. So it's. I mean, I don't know. Just part, it's like, I have my Winter Mitchell hat on. Like, yeah. I'm just thinking like, where is his publicist or the, somebody be like, you know what? Maybe don't Oh my God, Winter's story. eyes would bulge the fuck out. She'd <laughs> yeah. be like, oh. What if I didn't talk about this? in a, Like, like talk I mean, about it in therapy and talk about it to like your black friends or whatever, but like maybe yes. not in an interview. Save, yeah. it, mm-hmm. save it for therapy. Probably not your black friends though. <laughs> like, maybe let's not okay, maybe give not. them more. Fair <laughs> enough. <laughs> but you know, I mean like. Hey, Viola Davis, get over here real quick. I want to toss them over. She's like, oh, I did not want to know. Mm, yeah. I mean, there is, like, I think there is kind of a weirdly racist undertone to, like, Taken, but, you know, that's that's on Luke Besson. Uh, you know, Liam Neeson didn't write yeah, it. Yeah, Luke Besson is you know. fucking terrible already, yeah. so. <laughs> <sighs> okay. <laughs> Let's wash that off. Let's wash that off. Yeah, how do, we, how do we go to the next thing? Uh, Duncan Jones. All right. It's a, um, a happy story. A new biopic called Stardust about the late, great David Bowie is in the works. But in response to the announcement of the film, David Bowie's son, director Duncan Jones, stated on Twitter that no one from Bowie's family has granted the film any music rights. Oh, <laughs> we've seen this problem before. Oh okay. Quote, right. I'm not saying this movie is not happening. I honestly wouldn't know. I'm saying that as it's stands this movie won't have any of dad's music in it and i can't imagine that changing if you want to see a biopic without his music or the family's blessing that's up to the audience so is this important and uh, do you care shout out to you saying i can't imagine that change <laughs> i was waiting for it i read it so fast i read it so fast I, I tried sitting through that Hendrix biopic yeah. that had no Hendrix music in it. Yeah. And I, I got about halfway through. I was like, I can't deal with it. We've this. seen this before. It doesn't end they, well. They've been talking about Janis Joplin biopics for like the last 25 years or something. Yeah, what's you the, know. the uh, Jackie Jorp Jump? Jackie Jorp Jump. <laughs> 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 Didn't they have like Amy Adams slated to do it or something? Amy Adams could do it at one point. It was going to be. Uh, Oh, the, like it's you name an actress between the ages of, you know, 20 and 32, and mm-hmm. she was slated to do it at some point. And also, I wonder, I mean, I don't know what you all think of this, like, there's an Elton John biopic that's coming Ugh, out now. Yeah. Like, we're, we're, it seems like this, we are going now through the, like, let's check off the list, uh, this These person's biopic. These people are still this... alive! Uh-huh. Give them a chance to die! <laughs> yeah. Well, you know, it, it's clearly, the, this is... You know, Bohemian Rhapsody has proven that, like, the, you know, boomer greatest hits will pack a house in. Fuck Ryan May. I'm sorry. Yeah, I know. (laughs) (laughs) I do not disagree. (laughs) That's how upset you are. In my mind, all I heard was Brian, and I was like, she's going to say Brian Singer. No, Brian May calling out the, we're we're calling out the band now. Who hired Brian Singer. Did he really? And stand by him. Oh, wow. Wow. That's. Well, so, I'm glad. Oh wow, I got you speechless. Yeah, you did. Yeah, you did. Wow. Fuck all the rhymes. I mean, and I, I didn't like Bohemian Rhapsody, so like they, these are just like more more reasons to add to the list. I'm like that movie. Fuck that movie. Not a fan. Yeah, not a fan at all. Movie. God. 
Damn it. God damn it. All right, we are going to take a break, y'all. When we come back, we are going to be talking about Miss Bala. Uh, but for now, we'll be right back after we hear from another one of our Max Fun podcasts. Hey everyone, it's John Roderick from the Friendly Fire Podcast here with Adam Pranica and Ben Harrison. When was the last time you really liked watching a war film? With Friendly Fire, you get to do it with us. Yeah, you don't even necessarily have to have seen the movie to get a lot out of an episode of Friendly Fire. In many cases, we would recommend that you not watch the movie because there are some really, really bad war movies. But a bad war movie makes a great war movie podcast. And in all cases, we recommend you listen to our show. So subscribe and download to Friendly Fire wherever you get your podcasts. To the victor, go the spoiler alerts. Hey, y'all. Welcome back to Who Shall Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona. Joining me in the studio today are... April Wolf. Alonzo Duralde. April, could you do us the flavor, please, of letting us know the synopsis to Miss Bala? Settle in. <laughs> Here we go. It's going to get long. <laughs> okay, so first, uh, Gina Rodriguez plays a uh, makeup artist who goes to her uh, friend's house in Tijuana, and um, she's going to help her friend Susa. Uh, Susu? Suzu? Suzu. Suzu. Um, she's going to help her friend Suzu um, get ready for the, um, uh, what is it? Miss Baja California. Yeah, Baja the Miss Baja California uh, pageant. And they go to this party. They're really excited. And this is the time where her friend Suzu gets to um, hobnob with all the big people, including a uh, the captain of the police, the mm-hmm. police chief. And um, there's a rumor that he gets to sleep with whoever wins the contest, you know, whatever. So all these, like, beautiful women are there, all these men with guns. DEA agents, everyone. And she, Gina Rodriguez's character, um, gets uh, in the bathroom and stuck in this terrible situation where these guys with guns come into the bathroom ready to make a hit on the police chief. Okay, so that embroils her in a bunch of stuff. She ends up being beholden to them. Then she's beholden to the DEA. And then... There's a lot of plot things that happen, but she's going to have to do like a, a miscongeniality and, and perform in a pageant to pull off this plan that will hopefully set her free and her friend who has been um, missing for some time. So, yeah, that's it. <laughs> Woo. Guns. That's it. Guns. I mean, if I had, like, it's like another one of those movies that I would put under, like, the title of, like, um, uh, Men Are Terrible, the movie. You know? Like, <laughs> <laughs> like, it's just a lot like Roma that way. <laughs> uh, that, that, uh, I, I am already looking on uh, on uh, Fandango for Men Are Terrible, the movie. No, I would totally... Uh, Miss Bala, we should also say, is, uh, is directed by Catherine Hardwick. Yeah. It is a remake of a 2011 uh, uh, Mexican film that was executive produced by Diego Luna and Gael Garcia Bernal. I cannot remember the director's name right now. Uh, something Naranjo. Yes. Uh, I forget. I'm sorry. For man or woman? Man. It was a man. Uh, but it, it, it screened at Cannes, like in certain in certain regard, and it was Mexico's entry to the Oscars that year, but it didn't make the gotcha. final five. And mm. it was good. Uh, yeah. Did anybody else watch it? Because I, I have not seen, seen it. it. Okay, I rented it on because I take this job seriously. <laughs> I kind of don't. I don't. I'm walking. 
fly by the seat of my pants. <laughs> I, I read it is it is you can rent it on Amazon. So I watched it. It's a lot grimmer. It is a lot grimmer than this version. Um, I watched the trailer. Does that Her- come Herardo, from Herardo, no. Gerardo Naranjo. Dale. The, that's the original director's name. Um, yeah, I mean, it, and it, it, you know, it doesn't get into the whole sort of cross-border stuff in terms of like the Gina Rodriguez character has like a you know. Uh, American dad, Mexican mom, and so she, like she 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 has friends and family, friends at least in Tijuana, but doesn't really speak Spanish or you know it's like very a uh, distant second language. Like none of that stuff is in the original, uh, and th- this one's a lot more sort of the Hollywood version for sure. Yeah, uh, can, j- just that that piece of information right there, and and I got that from the trailer as well. What they the way they they bring that new idea to to the remake? Gina Rodriguez. There seems to be in her character and in the guy who's like the the leader of the cartel, Lino. Lino. Lino this idea of Latinos born in the United States when they go back home, there's a disconnect there. There's a disconnect that they feel living in the United States. Uh, we don't really see that in, in film, I think, in when it's Latino characters. Right. It's usually either like they are very happy to be here and are chasing the American dream, or we go back home and find out what it means to be Where living their roots back lie. home. Yes, yeah. yeah. But, they, so but I am all for the idea of watching that kind of conflict mm. in a character. But it's just kind of like used as an aside. Well, the the move the in the the remake, like Lino gets a whole speech about this. Yes, and it's interesting, and it gives his character some depth. Gloria never does mm-hmm. the 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 Gina Rodriguez character. So it's like we don't have apart from the one friend who she's helping out, and like the friend's brother who she's trying to save. We have no idea. Like, does she have friends? Does she have family? Like, she's she ta- doesn't have any family, and she doesn't have a lot of friends. She she's. And- so she, She's tossed in this terrible situation and has nobody to turn to because yeah. she apparently has no one in her life. Yeah, because her dad died, her mom died, and, and they lost the factory that they had in Mexico. I'm sorry, I paid attention to the no, movie. No, I, uh, I, I'm <laughs> just saying, though, the, but, the, but the movie the movie presenters having so little of an internal life and, uh, yes. you know, Agreed. which is a thing that, 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 that yeah. they do in movies all the time. Like, like where, where do me more in Ghosts Friends when Patrick Swayze dies? Like, <laughs> no, there, nobody, you know. I, I gotta say, like, I have... Some clear faults for this. Okay. I actually, I feel like I was watching two different movies. I thought that I was watching the Catherine Hardwick movie Mm -hmm. that reminded me of 13 and Lords of um, Dogtown a Mm. lot. Like there was a lot of intimacy and, you know, the kind of cinematography that gets really close with someone's face and kind of like lets things unfold. And that was kind of in this earlier half of it, like this earlier part. And then it. Do you mean earlier, like literally the earlier part of the movie? Yeah. Before Suzu gets kidnapped because that's the only her, because she has a friend to talk to. No, no, but I mean, (laughs) I mean, even when she's like, um, you know, kidnapped and taken to this house, you know, the way that the cinematography is, it's like it's very close and very patient. Mm -hmm. It's a really patient kind of movie. But something happens towards the end where it needs to turn into an American action film. Mm -hmm. And that's where it starts to just 
completely unravel because they need to hit these beats, you know, and that's where you start getting things that make it look like a music video where you've got, um, uh, I would assume that they're, dr- they're drone shots because I don't think that they're cr- the crane because they they move too fast, mm-hmm. but they kind of swoop down on buildings that are palatial and beautiful and everyone looks gorgeous and there's shots that move fast and jump cuts of people looking beautiful and that's the kind of thing, you know, and then you get like the slow motion of like the Gina Rodriguez, you know, when she comes into herself and and it's like that's the exact opposite of the kinds of movies that I love of like a, a female heroine kind of coming into her own, which I got to say, I still think that Revenge is one of the best movies who, mm. that does it yeah. because you have a person who doesn't want to hold a gun. Yeah. They truly and they don't feel confident doing it, but they have to. And there's just like you can sense that kind of um, tension between having to do it and and not wanting it to even be in this situation. So. Yeah, by the, time, by the time you get to the end, you feel like the whole movie only existed to get her in a ball gown holding an AR-15. And like everything else was mere prelude. You know? Yeah. Yes. yes. <laughs> uh, I actually thought the movie was directed well. Uh, I, I, I didn't know anything about Catherine Hardwick. And then, I, uh, and then I looked her up, but I thought the movie was directed well. I thought it looked great. Yeah. I thought those shots that you're talking about that seem like they're drone shots are fucking fantastic. It reminded me of uh, the cinematography in Sicario, where a lot of time we're just like going over Mexico. And I was like, man, this is, everything looked like so spatial and open. So when it does, the other thing that you said, where like we get like all these close-ups and we're like really involved like with these character characters and like what their thought process is. But then unfortunately, there's just like, there's just no like story there to like back all of that the up. There's no some th- guy I'd never heard of. Uh, uh, I believe it's his first screenplay. Really? Yeah. Ooh. There's no em- like you said. There's, there's no emotional journey when she no. is when she is like when he's teaching her how to shoot the gun. I'm looking for that moment, like like you said, April, where she's holding the gun and it's uncomfortable to her. She doesn't like it. She's she's crying or she's it's just. I want to see her visibly shaken, and there just isn't that. She, I mean, it, she has a moment where she can possibly shoot him, but she doesn't take advantage of that, and then the story just kind of keeps going. I, it never, it never built to her becoming quote unquote Miss Bala. Yeah. At one point, she's just walking through the fire now in a red dress and ready to like handle her business. So yeah. The rise to action is completely in voiceover. I think that I need to point that out. Yes. Mm. Then that's. Not okay. No, <laughs> you can't. You can't have a complete like someone doing voiceover um, over all these scenes where nothing is happening. It was the screenplay was by Garrett Duneth Alcocer. I yeah. hope I'm pronouncing that right. I, yeah, like I, I think it, 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 it moves along at a good clip. It feels like kind of a fun genre movie, but ultimately, yeah. I don't know who this woman is. I don't know why I should be caring about it. And, you know, it it just gets like they 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 create this relationship with her and Lino that's kind of creepy because it's sort of like implying there's a certain level of like, you know, she's into him, maybe, Mm -hmm. even though he's her captor, but then not. And, Mm -hmm. uh, you know, all that stuff felt kind of weird. And. You know, watching and then going back and watching the original one, it sort of reminds me of like, okay, the first film is a Mexican film that is very that taking taking this harsh look at things that are happening in Mexico with like corrupt cops and drug dealers and whatever. And now this one, it's like a Hollywood movie, and Catherine Hardwick is directing it. And yes, apparently there's a huge amount of Latinx cast and crew involved in making the film. But ultimately, I kept thinking like, it was that thing of like, 
I can talk shit about my mama, but you can't talk <laughs> shit about my mama. You know? <laughs> like Catherine Hardwick, <laughs> you don't really get to make this movie. I where, want that, you know, <laughs> yeah, you know, so that that I thought kind of mm-hmm. brought a weird thing to it as well. Yeah, I was I was so happy about. I mean, I saw interviews with Gina Rodriguez beforehand, and I, re- I read a couple interviews with Catherine Hardwick where they both worked on in front of the camera and behind the camera Latin representation, and I was I'm I'm all for that. But just the the story in and of itself, I was like, "What is what what is going on here?" You're, you gotta have not, that script. You, you gotta have that script. You gotta have a story. That's something they kept talking about uh, when they were doing these Q and A's uh, over the weekend at, at Horror Noir. Everybody said you have to have a story. They were like, "Give us, we need." You know, when people would ask for advice, you have to have a story. Always, you have to have a script. It doesn't matter, you know, and, and good sound. They kept saying, and also, if you said it's oh, make, make sure it, yeah, yes. you need make sure it has good sound. sound. But yeah, that's just got to be on the page, you know. Absolutely, absolutely. And it just felt like it wasn't. It almost felt kind of like one of those like later 90s Tony Scott films where it's like, this all looks cool. Uh-huh. I don't know what the fuck is going I, on. I, I really was reminded or... of Columbiana, <laughs> going back to Luke Besson, <laughs> yes. that crazy ass movie with Zoe Saldana, yes. AKA oh, Panty shit. Assassin. Indeed. Somebody gave me that as a, as a that Blu-ray as a gift, <laughs> as a secret Santa, knowing what my reaction would be. <laughs> <laughs> and also, if you're gonna put, if you're gonna slap a woman in a in a ba- in a beauty pageant at the last minute, I want a, a, an awkward scene where like they wheel out a marimba or something like she, the talent portion where she's like, I, I didn't, I didn't prepare anything. Yeah, you know? they could. I was expecting them to maybe play that a little bit for laughs or it, just it, adds bring it, something new to the moment. In the Mexican one, there is at least the moment where they ask her some bullshit like world peace question Mm -hmm. and she starts crying because she's like you know it's being held hostage and she's trying to save these people and all stuff is happening and of course they managed to sort of play it off as like oh you're caught up in the emotion of the moment and da 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 you know Mm -hmm. the the, the phony pageant sort of bullshit version of it while she's like having this freak out because like she's in the middle of this horrible situation oh I like that maybe they should have just used their script yeah right and just run it through Google Translate and fix it (laughs) oh but but yeah but but this one is so Hollywood especially like the last five minutes where it's basically oh, like they, they basically she gets asked to join the Avengers. It's yeah. ridiculous. <laughs> By an Avenger. Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. You're right. Yes. I didn't even think about that. <laughs> yeah. Oh, I, I want to talk about uh, so just very quickly before we wrap this up. Uh, friend of the show, Yolanda Mercado, uh, <laughs> her review that uh, that she wrote for uh, for the rap. She did. It w- was f- fantastic. But the, the, the one big question that she asked us <laughs> on, Twitter. on Twitter was, why did they remake this? <laughs> We don't know. We don't. Well, be, be, because because Americans won't read subtitles. That's why. <laughs> Which is like, I mean, I think that we've figured out that like they do because everyone's watching fucking Marie Kondo right now. So yeah, <laughs> but, like, but but like but I mean, what what was the last you know not in English movie to make more than like twenty million at the U.S. box? I don't know office. which mm. is the one that had good marketing behind it in the U.S. Because I don't, I mean, like that's not like their marketing. I think they, sinks that stuff. There's always it seems like one thing that they don't hit hard enough or that they take for granted, and that's what brings the movie down. Whether they don't know how to market a movie, whether they don't pay attention to the script, uh, it's just like. It, it's you can't just say, "Hey, here's a remake of a movie that did well overseas, right. and we're putting fill in the blank a movie star yeah. or up and coming new movie star." That's just, in my opinion, that's just not enough to like hook audiences. Well, I mean that that is why hundreds of movies get made every year, mm-hmm. and we remember 
a few dozen, you know, because, right. yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah, there's a lot of there's a lot of ways for these things to go wrong. I mean, I, you know, I, I think sadly that there that American audiences are less inclined to go pay money to see a subtitled movie than they were like 40 years ago, 50 years ago, you know, when you had like, you know, urban uh, sort of cognoscenti would run out to see the new Ingmar Bergman or the new, you know, Fellini or Truffaut or whatever. Like now, maybe they'll go out to see the new Amadovar, but even those like only hit a certain level of audience yep. and he's a brand, but like there really aren't, you don't have a foreign film audience, sadly, the way that we used to. Uh, but but then I think, but you're right. A lot of that has to do with like, they're not spending the money on marketing it. A lot of publications don't give them the review space they need, you know. And uh, But, you know, I don't know what the tail is and what the dog is as far as why that happens. But, you know, it, yeah. I think we they that's why you remake foreign films, so you can make them in English. I, I wonder if... Uh, Netflix will uh, kind of even that playing field uh, because things will just be available and you can just watch them in the comfort of your own home. Whereas people think like foreign films with subtitles, you have to do some fucking art house thing that doesn't even serve popcorn. What? You know what I mean? Like that kind of shit. Like they just don't know. They don't get it. I mean, like here I've got Lemley. I can do where the fuck I want. But like, it's... are they going to force me to drink a Cabernet? Yeah, exactly. They give me a bag of black licorice. And I think there's going to be, expen- you know, like they just feel weird and awkward doing it. But like Netflix is like something that pushes foreign shows pretty True, easily yeah. um like uh i can't oh. wait to watch uh what is it siempre una bruja that's the new colombian show in spanish it's uh, okay. uh, uh in I've, english it means always a witch i've heard people yeah. don't like it oh really yeah from from some like latinx outlets oh, said that, right? that they're not well, into it i'm the... very much looking for i have i've only seen the trailer and i'm i'm very much looking there forward a, to come there, back and tell us there was a okay. spanish show that said at some like elite private school and it's like Degrassi with more sex yeah, and violence. Yeah, people love that. It's really good. I, mm. Forgetting now what it's called, I've seen like a wonderful episode. I know exactly what you're talking about, but yeah. people love that. I think yeah. Netflix could be the thing that kind of I hope like yeah. does in go watch American ha- remake. Go yeah. watch Happy as Lotsero. You know <laughs> exactly, yeah. exactly. Happy as Lotsero. I think you know a lot of people seem to watch it. Yeah. yeah, I mean this isn't a remake, but this is why I want to watch. This is why I want people to just watch Roma. Like if you're not going to go to the theater, yeah, cool. It's it's literally on your television right now, and just watch Roma and read it off of your TV. Yeah, you know. And look, I'm old. I put the subtitles on everything now. Me too. You know? dude. Everybody, Me too. everybody mumbles on TV now. <laughs> the Marlon I mean, Brando syndrome. You know, and Dave's gone to bed. I can't have the TV cranked up real loud. It's like <laughs> I'm just going to put the titles on. I never learned. I never realized how much people scoff until I turn down the subtitles. Everything it's always like <laughs> like three lines and then scoffs. Like what? <laughs> so much scoffing in the world. <laughs> this is a discussion point that came from a fan of the show, listener, Mr. Chris Steckler on Facebook. If anybody knows of any good foreign uh, remakes, when I tried to think of recent American remakes of foreign mm-hmm. films, uh, Spike Lee's Old Boy came to mind mm-hmm. and I promised myself I would never again think of <laughs> Spike Lee's Old Boy. So uh, help me out, and let's help the um, listeners out. With I that. mean, The Departed is not terrible. Oh, that's right. That's a that's yeah, a remake of a Hong a remake, Kong movie. Yeah. I've always had kind of a soft spot. The the eighties was riddled with terrible American remakes of French comedies, mm. and I think maybe it was Lacage Falls fault. But like, there were oh, so many right. awful remakes of, of French comedy. But there were a couple that were good. Uh, Joel Schumacher's Cousins. Is a very charming remake of Cousin Cousine with uh, Ted Danson and Isabella Rossellini. Oh wow! I and forgot a, about and that. A, and a lush 
Angelo Badalamenti score. Ooh, okay, uh, you're talking about language. romantic. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a fun movie. I like it a lot. Um, and Down and Out in Beverly Hills is a remake of uh, Jean Renoir's Voodoo Saved from Drowning. Oh, I didn't realize that because I yeah. fucking love that movie. Okay, well there you go. <laughs> it is Nick Nolte at his finest. It's totally. <laughs> <laughs> that is Nick Nolteist. I yes. think about it all the time. I really, I actually quite like the the Grudge remake. Okay, with Sarah oh, Michelle yes. Gellar. I like yes. that one, and I and I also thought that the Ring make uh, remake was good. Those two, I think, in terms of you know doing J horror, J horror, they did it right. I don't know that we've had any other ones that are like really great, but I I enjoyed the atmosphere that they had, where it was clearly American, but it had these interesting tones to it that were very gritty that we didn't usually get to see in horror films. I mean, yeah, there's a lot of bad ones i mean like one missed call and stuff we're like Fuck, yeah, yeah j horror i think is has, has led a lot of people astray thankfully nobody's tried to remake how sue uh, oh my <laughs> god but but could you could you imagine if people redid how sue i almost want to do a whole episode just on like who would be our fantasy director to remake how sue <laughs> Uh, well, let's well, let's tell the people uh, what did we think. Should they should they screen this, stream it, or skip it, Alonzo? Uh, I'd say skip it, uh, but stream the original Miss Bala. Like I said, you can rent it on Amazon. It's um, it's it it's a, a much more raggedy film. They don't have the same sort of budget or resources, but it is a lot less. Um, it's a much more honest movie about the dire circumstances being portrayed than this movie is. Okay. I'm between skip and stream because I do think that there's some good performances in this. Scheme it. Scheme it. <laughs> yeah, because, you know, in the early parts, there are some good performances. I think that Catherine Hardick, Hardwick is getting some good stuff from Gina Rodriguez mm. and Ismael. Ismael um, Cruz Cordova. And, uh, yeah, I've... But man, that ending, like the last half of it, I'm just so not, I'm just not there with it. But yeah. I just, I love the kind of naturalistic cinematography that we're getting that finally reminds me where I'm just like, oh, this reminds me about 13. <laughs> 13 exists. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I'm going to have to say skip it, unfortunately. I was, uh, I was pretty disappointed in it. But uh, I will say stream the original. I'm going to stream the original as well. And I'm, I'm looking forward to that because I... The, the, the word of mouth on that movie is, is, is very good and very positive in it, and it, and it looks great. All right, yeah, we are going to take a break. When we come back, we are going to talk about music in non-musical movies, y'all. That's what's up. Uh, we'll be right back after we hear from another one of our Max Fun podcasts. Hello, this is Amy Mann. And I'm Ted Leo. And we have a podcast called The Art of Process. We're talking about how the creative process is in itself an art form, in our opinion. There are underlying forms and structures that serve as a scaffolding for any creative endeavor. We've been lucky enough over the past year to talk to some of our friends and acquaintances from across the creative spectrum to find out how they actually work. We weirdly don't know as many musicians as you would expect. New episodes will be coming every other Monday. Starting January 28th. So please listen and subscribe at Max. MaximumFun.org or wherever you get your podcast. Welcome back to Who Shall Ya? I'm your host, Ricky Carmona, and with me in the studio is April Wolf, Alonzo Duralde. We thought we would take this section of the, sh- of the show to talk about our favorite music moments from films that are non musicals. So I'm not going to be 
I don't. I didn't drink any Haterade before I <laughs> before I walked in here, Alonzo. I'm looking forward to this. Uh, we had like a couple of stipulations that we came up with. Right. Uh, it couldn't be any concert films. Mm-hmm. Uh, also, obviously, it couldn't be any uh, musicals. Uh, and what we what, it, what we could use are diegetic or non-diegetic Ew. music scenes. Yes, thank you. I will. You learn a term uh, and you just run with it. Uh, did you? It sounded like you had one all, all ready to go, though, Alonzo. Well, did you? I mean, the first thing I thought of, and mm-hmm. it's not like a use of a pre-recorded song, but it is, it is a musical moment that emerges in a non-musical movie, is when they sing La Marseillaise in Casablanca. Okay, like that's a great moment. Mm-hmm. You know? Go ahead and sing some of that for us. Uh, I will not. <laughs> Uh, but no, but because it, 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 it's this, it's this very much like we are at fucking war right now movie, and you've got these, you know, these. The, the, these Nazis show up at the bar and they start singing some German song and like everybody else just starts drowning them out with La Marseillaise, you know, because this is like occupied France, but it's Vichy, but it's, you know, like technically the Nazis are running everything, but the people there aren't thrilled about it. And so that's like the the sort of without firing a shot, a way of like scoring this kind of moral victory in the ongoing war is like, we're going to fucking sing La Marseillaise and mm. we're going to knock out their German bullshit. You know, that's it. Then that's just a really effective moment. Oh, word. April. So Alonzo brought up an opera scene, and I was just like, actually, I do have one with an opera scene. <laughs> <laughs> um, I, I love opera. From, um, Jonathan Glazer's birth. Um, <gasps> there's an opera scene where Nicole Kidman is uh, watching a Wagner opera, and it is a very slow um, push in on her face as she's kind of going through these emotions, and you, you realize that she might be deciding that she is going to run away with a little boy who says that he is the reincarnation of her dead husband. And it is, it sells the entire story of just like a very long, I think it's like four or five minutes long of a very slow push on, push in on her face. And um, you, you know, you hear the, the opera going on the stage. You can kind of see like the light moving around on her face. And um, that, particular selection I think it's it's full of so much sorrow and also has this undertone of guilt you know if you know anything about Wagner and this kind of you know he's a Nazi really <laughs> and um, I don't know anything about Wagner so explain it to me like I'm a three-year-old it's, it's a thing um, it's a thing that I think a lot of um, Jewish people have any kind of guilt of listening to Wagner, for instance, mm. because it is... He was um, a Hitler fave. He was oh, a was Hitler right? fave, yeah. Okay. But it's also this really beautiful music. So the act of listening to that is, it brings about quite a bit of guilt, but it's almost like, I'm going, you know, like, I'm going to do this. I'm going to take part in this kind of thing. And so there's just so many layers of, like, the selection of music that they that they have on top of the emotions that she's going through. And it's just a really beautiful diegetic scene. Oh, hell yeah. Nook, that is one of the great close-ups in the history of cinema. And I said before, they mirrored it when they did The Wife. Yes. But like Nicole Kidman, that she did not get every award on earth for that performance in fucking birth. It's so great, that movie. Bombed, and it was her favorite movie that she ever made, and it was her most personal movie. Never been better. But I highly recommend watching that just to even see that scene, because it's just... From from the director of Sexy Beast and Under the Skin. Oh, okay. Mm -hmm. All right. Is, is Birth streaming anywhere? Uh, I think I rented it from Amazon when okay. I rented it, yeah. All right. I Kate want... Berlant came and talked about it on our, on Switchblade once. Right. I want to see this. This sounds this sounds all great. Uh, I I mean, would 
when we went to this, or when we talked about that we were going to uh, do this segment, I like thought of every goddamn Spike Lee music moment. Oh well, like, sure, yeah. yeah. Like, but like I said, I just didn't want to do like the beginning of like do the right thing and Rosie Perez dancing, which is like one of the top ten openings of in, in movies ever. Uh, but the Spike Lee movie that I, the Spike Lee music moment that I did think of is the beginning of Summer of Sam, and it's the moment where. The camera is just like up in the like New York New York uh, night, and it's uh, by these train tracks, and the camera starts to pan down, and we see this like red Mustang or just this huge fucking seventies muscle car turn the corner and pull up to this club, and John Leguizamo and Mira Sorvino get out of the car, and this is like Spike doing his version of the Goodfellas walking mm-hmm. into the Copacabana shot, where we see we follow uh, John Leguizamo. And uh, and Mira Sorvino walking into the club. Boogie Nights by Heatwave is playing, uh, and they're just like giving high fives to everybody, and they're just being welcomed. They literally walk directly onto the dance floor, and then there, but for the grace of God, go I by Machine starts playing. It's just fucking just this. Oh, I love this disco song so much. And as soon as the song starts playing, they start doing the hustle. And John Leguizamo does this spin, and the camera spins around him, and everybody on the dance floor disappears. And it's just the both of them on the dance floor by themselves doing the hustle in, like, this beautiful, like, slow motion. And then, like, the camera kind of, like, cranks up with the speed again. And then everybody's just back on the dance floor again. And it's just, like, a great way to, like, introduce these characters and be like, oh, these these are my two favorite people in the world. And they, they are so in sync with each other and know exactly what their moves are going to be and where they where where they are with each other and then as the movie goes on it's just kind of their marriage slowly falling apart because the summer of sam killer is out there so man the the first 10 minutes of summer of sam it's so fucking phenomenal nice. i can't recommend that one enough i was also i was thinking about song scores which people mm-hmm. don't do a lot in non-musical films but like the two that leapt to mind I think that 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 are great at sort of moving the story along and and, and but also stand alone is just great albums uh the Cat Stevens songs in Harold and Maud mm. and then the uh badly drawn boy songs in about a about boy about a boy yes I, both of those I think it's like those songs are telling a story or they're underscoring a story with lyrics, but they're not distracting you too much from the film that, you know, that that's, you know, so it's sort of like these two sort of parallel things that feed into each other, but you can listen to the music separately and it's still great, but in concordance with these images and with the story that's being presented in the film, in both cases, I think those, those, those do a lot of the work to sort of getting you into the headspace of the characters. Yeah. I was Did, thinking about the collaboration between Amy Mann and um, Paul Thomas Anderson. In Magnolia, yeah, totally. totally yeah. In Magnolia, it's, it's fantastic. The About a Boy score, is that something that Badly Drawn Boy did specifically for mm-hmm. the movie? Yeah. Oh, Work. That's oh, yeah. fantastic. Oh, uh, Amy Mann and uh, and Paul Thomas Anderson, like the Magnolia score is fantastic. I love that movie. Fantastic. I don't care if people think it's cheesy. I fucking love it. Yeah, w- I always say fuck subtlety anyway. So <laughs> <laughs> make it biblical. Fuck, <laughs> yeah, I love it. Sure, absolutely. That's that's a fantastic moment. The, when they all when they all sing, wise up. When it's like mm. that that choir moment happening, the whole cast singing. I'm all in on that. Yeah. I'm all in. That, that movie spends the first five minutes talking about what crazy coincidences that that happen in life. So, 
at, at the two hour thirty minute, yes, I'm ready for the whole cast to start singing <laughs> yes, Wise I Up. Am. Yes. Isn't Patton Oswald the 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 scuba diver who gets yes, caught he up in the lake thing oh. on the fire? Yeah. Funny. Yes. I, I always remember I I just want to make sure I threw in Jonathan Demi's uh Silence of the Lambs when um the kidnapping victim sings um uh American, American Girl. Girl. It's yes. one of my favorite moments in the movie because it's like such a dark movie, but you just got like the so much joy from this like woman in a truck is just like you know really bouncing along fucking loving the song and i'm just like thank god and then also um other people jesse plemons character in the grocery store when the grocery store starts playing trains drops drops of jupiter well, the, the way drops of jupiter is used throughout other people yeah uh, that one for me, I think, is, is like in the grocery stores where it kind of comes to a head where he's just like starts weeping and it's just <laughs> yeah. like it's just some dumb song over like the, the speaker, you know, yeah. yeah. And it's, you know, it's the sound design of it is like it's kind of tinny and played over a speaker and he's just like, fuck, man. <laughs> <laughs> I'm looking at a couple other uh, ones on Twitter. Somebody has As Time Goes By from Casablanca. Oh, OK, Lonzo sure. Series. Also a classic. Uh, this person, Nick Herbert on Twitter, uh, they mentioned that one. Uh, the interaction with the aliens on Close Encounters, of course. Uh, Volver from Volver. Oh, good one. Yeah, yes. yeah, yeah. Yes. Uh, I love when a musical scene just breaks out of a non-musical movie, like in the dance at the end of She's All That where suddenly everybody knows the Rockefeller skank. <laughs> and then that same director a couple years later did a movie called Boys and Girls that is not very good at all. But, like, um, uh, Freddie Prinze Jr. and, um, oh, what's her name, uh, who was in Mallrats? Uh, Claire Forlani okay. go to a nightclub. And again, everybody knows the choreography. And there's this, this dance number breaks out. And I just I love that lunacy of, like, it's a movie. Why the fuck not? Absolutely. You know? there's, there's the famous scene in The Fisher King. Where they're walking yes. through the train station, mm. then all of a sudden everybody just starts ballroom dancing. Exactly. I'm like, it's like, this it, is beautiful. It's before the flash mob, you know. <laughs> <laughs> also, shout out to uh, Sam Anderson on Twitter. They tweeted at us a boatload of great uses in Kubrick, but Hal 9000 singing Daisy as it quote unquote dies is brilliant. Oh, totally. Oh, yeah. so great. sad. Nobody can steal this idea. Nobody can steal this idea. I have a phone app idea where uh, you know your phone is dying because it starts going <laughs> Daisy. Daisy. Nobody can steal that idea. That is my million, idea. Million dollar idea. Copyright. Uh, you know, people were talking about Royal Tenenbaums. I love at the very end of Rushmore when they all dance to Ooh La La. Mm. <laughs> uh, uh, and that whole montage in the middle that's set to the Who's a quick one while we're away. Oh yes, that's yes. You know, that's a the, the, those are great moments. I, like I, I love all the the British invasion stuff he does in that movie. When I, I also love to just. The silly thing that directors do. I just watched There's Something About Mary again recently. And just when it, when the oh, credits start up and Build Me Up Buttercup starts playing, it's kind of like the, like a, a fun way of doing like a cast bow. Yes, you know, totally. Like yeah. I'm a big fan of moments like that. Fuck, that whole movie is Jonathan Richmond singing songs too. Yeah, yeah. Oh, Mod yeah. From Modern Lovers, like... That was like introduced a lot of people who were like, who the fuck is Jonathan Richmond? <laughs> Dude. Uh, it's weird. I, th- this just came to mind earlier this week before we even had this topic of conversation. There's a late 80s Danish queer film called Friends Forever. I think it won the audience award at, at Frameline in San Francisco. Alonzo, the, the master of uh, uh, all the late 80s Danish <laughs> queer films. <laughs> this is the one to see if you're going to see one. Uh, but it, it, the movie literally ends with like, 
you know, at one moment you have like the, the the high school students are sort of rebelling against some administrative policy. And then suddenly they run off screen. And then when they run back on, like they're all every, the entire cast is on a stage in a park wearing goofy like masquerade costumes, lip syncing to some Swedish or Danish <laughs> pop song. And um it's never been subtitled. Like ah. I've seen, I've seen it projected. I've seen it on DVD. There's never subtitles. So for 30 years, I've been like, "What the fuck is this song even about?" And I still don't know. So if anybody out there speaks Danish, uh, go find this video and tell me because I, I need to know. Um, uh, it's just like hail Satan. Yeah, who knows? <laughs> for all I know. April, do you have any uh, last ones before we wrap this up? No. Alrighty. <laughs> Shout out to everybody. That was like one of the biggest Twitter responses yes. I've ever seen is us asking uh, music in uh, in movies. So God, shout out to everybody music. who tweeted at, at us on that. That was really great. We got some good Baby Driver ones. Uh, just a fuck, fuck that movie. Oh, <laughs> it's not that great. I'm, I I I don't feel like it's the. I don't think it's the best movie he, in the world. He just but... needs. He's a he's a great director. He just needs someone to write things for him. I think is the problem. And he's the next movie that he's doing has a co-writer, so I'm very excited okay. about it. I am all for John Spencer Blues Explosion in my movies, and if he can give us that, then fair enough. For then then I will take it. Then I will take it. But it's. It's not one of his best ones. It's not one of his best ones. So thank you to everybody who who tweeted at us uh, with with uh, with your favorites. That was that was really awesome to read and, and to talk to some of you guys. Thanks to everybody who has been calling the Who Shot line. Uh, please keep calling in with your with your questions and, and your comments. We've gotten a bunch of those. So thank you so much. If you don't know now, you know the number is WSY eight zero three one six six four. We're, put, we're putting together a bunch of those, and we are going to read them on the air soon. When you call in, please remember to keep them under a minute, though, so we can play them on the air. We've got some great calls. They're just too long to play on the show right now. So keep them under a minute. That would be fantastic. Edit. All right. <laughs> <laughs> Scene. <laughs> no, I was doing uh, Janet Jackson and Rhythm Nation. Edit. <laughs> Oh, that is what you said. <laughs> Sorry, man. Yesterday was Janet Jackson Appreciation Day. Was it, it yesterday or was it Sunday? I think Super Bowl Sunday is always Janet yeah, Jackson Appreciation Day. Okay, word, word. All right, y'all. Uh, let's do let's do some stat picks before we get the hell out of here. Alonzo. Well, strangely enough, it's come up in conversation. My staff pick is Other People, which is streaming on Netflix. Oh, for real? Yes. <laughs> oh, oh, for real? Uh, because if you're watching The Other Two on Comedy Central, that show is co-created by Chris Kelly, who also worked on SNL and also wrote and directed Other People, which is a sort of autobiographical film about... Uh, Dealing with his mother uh, dying of cancer, and uh, Jesse Plemons plays a, a gay comedy writer in the film. Um, and yeah, the, the use of Drops of Jupiter is brilliant. Molly Shannon as the mom won a well-deserved Spirit Award. It is very funny. It makes me cry buckets. It is a great movie that I think a lot of people missed when it came out a couple years ago. So yeah, other people. That's what's up. April. Hey, I love my dark shit. <laughs> oh, yes. So excited to get everyone to watch Wisconsin Death Trip. Oh, God. Wow. I remember that one. I like all the words from, you're saying. Uh, so from James Marsh, who directed uh, Man on Wire, Theory of Everything. Oh, yeah. Um, this is actually based on a nonfiction book by Michael Lisi. And uh, it was written in the 1970s, and this guy was a historian. Uh, I can't remember. He might still be alive. But um, he's a historian, and he went through all of these newspapers from uh, Black River Falls, I think, uh, in Wisconsin. And it is a town that in, uh, you know, like a period between 1890 and 1910, it went through the worst that any town could ever, ever go through. It was 
it's fucking cursed. And um, so what he did is he went through this newspaper of this area and pulled out all of the things that are terrible that are announced that are kind of spoken in this weird blasé language of this father and son duo who wrote all of the stuff for the paper. And it's so haunting because it's just like they you can tell that they've been dealing with tragedy like the entire time. And so, you know, you'll just be like, yes, and a mother was walking around with her dead child on Main Street the other day. And you're just like, it's just nonstop insanity. Um, but the way that it's directed, is um, it's like all black and white. And it's like these uh, kind of intersecting um, moments. I don't even want to call them vignettes, but like mm -hmm. an intersecting vignette. And imagine that Ken Burns directed a horror movie. <laughs> because it is it's dark but it's also kind of informational with voiceover and has this kind of like almost I don't want to say flippant but it has kind of like a like a darkly humorous overtone to it um and then he also juxtaposes all these uh the present day pictures of the people from the town because like the effects of what was happening in 1890 echoed like you can tell the the echoing of like w what happened in that town because the people there are like they're not necessarily normal they you know their ancestors went through fucking hell and that's a, like a generational thing that you inherit and um yeah it's it's a fantastic movie again remember ken burns directing horror just imagine <laughs> right wisconsin death trip uh, my staff pick is what I talked about at the top of the show, Horror Noir, uh, which will be streaming on Shudder the day that this episode drops on Friday, uh, February 7th. Uh, I can't recommend it enough, y'all. It's it's one it's a documentary, documentary that does the great thing of entertaining you and educating you at the same time. I mean, I grew up watching some of these movies and like... I mean, I, I watched it as, as a movie fan, like fucking smiling so much, like, oh, God, there's Keith David again and, and, and there's Candyman again. But uh, also just kind of like the level of I, I wasn't expecting the level of kind of like film scholar attitude that, that it was handled with and and really getting into just I mean, a line that they that several of them talked about afterwards uh, in the panel was black history is horror. You know, and just like hearing something mm. like that and how powerful that is uh, and just how they would how how they would use their stories, you know, with any genre, you know, it, it you know, it, it'll really work if you can kind of show the parallel to what's happening in the real world today. And, uh, you know, how a movie like, you know, a movie that we all know, and we all love, like Get Out, you know, a movie like that does that. Uh, a movie like Blackula shows, uh, you know, a, a black person playing Dracula, but then they also show him. Uh, you know, in, in the you know in the 1600s, and he's not a slave. He's actually somebody who his character at that moment has just as much equal equal footing as the person who he's uh, who he's the, the white person who he's talking to uh, on screen, trying to uh, uh, trying to get uh, Africans out of this slave trade. You know, just things like that. Where when I'm watching that as a kid, I'm not aware of that that's not like you know clicking in my head. But watching it now on on a big screen or whether you watch it at home. It's really fucking, it's really goddamn powerful. Um, we should say, since it's on Shudder, too, that if you did want to try Shudder, Shudder is making available, I think, all of the films that are mentioned in that documentary for this month. Oh, That's wow. what's up. So and if you want to catch up from the stuff that you're mentioning right now. 
That's what's up, yo. And I do, I do know they were, they were, they were, they were promoting this very much, the this uh, a lot as well. You can just sign up for Shutter for like seven days. So if you just want to like take advantage of the other seven days and watch all of these movies, go ahead and do that, y'all. I am. Do mad at you, you have the flu? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it sounds like you're getting sick out there, y'all. So you might need some sick days and watch movies. Next week we will be talking about Leave No Trace. Uh, let's read some reviews before we get the hell out of here. Zeros83 from Italy says, Highly recommend to anybody who wants to listen to fun, deep, and knowledgeable people discussing new movies. Each episode features an in-depth discussion about a new release, quick chats about movie news, and staff picks that are always intriguing. Ricky is infectiously happy. Alonzo is the Christmas buff I didn't know I needed. <laughs> and April is a kindred spirit who I can't but love. Uh, ditto for recurring guest Drail Clark. Do yourself a favor and listen to this podcast. Thank you, Zeros83 from Italy. Uh, Hadassah Leah says, How am I just now discovering this podcast? It's so smart and also hilarious. Thank you for being one of the only film podcasts that isn't just white dudes telling me my film opinions are wrong. Well, thanks, Leah. And Thank you, Leah. your opinions are terrible. No, I'm kidding, right? <laughs> that's, what, that's what they wanted, right? They wanted us that's to say that your opinions are bad. Right? Yes, okay. <laughs> we'll do it. <laughs> so whatever you say. And then there's um, Steve VMD says, as a straight white dude, it's great to step outside the bubble and listen to great talk from different viewpoints. I look forward to this every week with the Best Diverse Film discussion. Granted, there are always some girls with dumb, shrill opinions whose voices are annoying. JK wanted to hear April stab someone's neck with scissors. <laughs> Keep up the great work, everyone who enjoys film or fun banter should listen. Thank you. Uh, thanks, you guys. Thank and you. I did. I oh, it's so sad that Ricky's right next to me because it's been a pleasure uh, hosting. I love you all. <laughs> uh, thank you to everybody who uh, leaves us reviews on Apple Podcasts. Uh, thank you to everybody who says good stuff about us online on, on our Facebook page and on Twitter. Thanks when you when we post the shows that we have a new episode. Thank you for retweeting that. Please keep on doing that, sharing the episodes. It helps us promote the show. It helps word of the mouth. Uh, it just helps the show get out there. Thank you, thank you, thank you to everybody who does that. Hey, thank you, Alonzo. And thank you, April. Thank you. Well, thank you. If you, anybody out there has a comment or suggestion about this week's show, tweet at us at whoshotyapod. Send us an email at whoshotyapatmaximumfun.org. Don't forget our Who Shot line. The number is WSY 803-1664. Our producer is Casey O'Brien. Our senior producer is Laura Swisher. This is a production of MaximumFun.org. And that's what's up. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Listener supported.